Last week, we saw the start of what is likely to become the largest conflict in Europe since the Second World War. Many South Africans greeting the news with horror and empathy for those affected, but also relief that a war halfway across the world won't affect them. Sadly, such relief is misguided. In the days, months and possibly even years to come, unstable fuel prices as a result of the conflict will impact not only on what we pay at the pump, but also local inflation and the value of the rand. Heightened levels of global financial risk will also affect demand for South African assets, along with the cost of servicing our national debt. And who knows what inspiration other power-hungry leaders, some perhaps closer to home, could draw from Vladimir Putin's reversion to a brand of conquest by naked aggression not seen for half a century. But in the meantime, life must go on. As the world's collective attention shifts away from the pandemic, we have reasons for celebration along with dismay. Among them, a return to live spectator sports. And in the spirit of building back better, we might well be entering an era in which female Male sportswomen are finally getting closer to pay parity with their male counterparts. I'll be in conversation with Investex head of sponsorships, Peter Dixon, about this encouraging trend. This is no ordinary Wednesday. It's an in-depth look at the events and trends, moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. A very warm welcome to you. I'm Jeremy Maggs. First up, Investec Wealth and Investment Chief Investment Strategist Chris Holdsworth tells us how investors are reacting to these events in Europe. Then Callum McPherson, head of Commodities at Investec UK looks ahead at the impact on oil and other resources. So, Chris, first up, as Russia launched its offensive deep into Ukraine last week, we saw investors turning to safe havens like gold, the US dollar and government bonds. Equities dropped and then seemed to bounce back as the market digested the news. But this is a really volatile situation, isn't it? Almost reminiscent of the first wave of COVID back in early 2020. Locally, how are investors reacting? It's going to take some time to fully tease out the, the long-term consequences of what we see. There are some immediate consequences linked to energy prices. We have seen an increase in the price of oil, as an example. It's now over $100 per barrel. And ultimately, that will imply an increase in the fuel price domestically and abroad and potentially higher inflation. But the real story is what is going to happen over the coming 6 to 12 months. It could easily be the case that the US and Saudi Arabia open up the taps and are able to compensate for what we're seeing with regards to oil. And Saudi Arabia has got 4.5 million barrels of excess capacity, so they could bring that on stream within 30 days and they can keep it flowing for at least 90 days. In the US, shale capacity is ramping up and it's still well below where it was two years ago, so there's lots of capacity there as well. So oil price shock may well be short-lived, but Ukraine and Russia is critically important for another set of commodities, one where there isn't excess supply easily available, and that's food. Ukraine and Russia collectively account for 25% of global corn exports, and as a result, we're seeing an increase in food prices, and there isn't a Saudi equivalent. There isn't a shale gas equivalent, and what that implies is that we are likely to see some form of sustained increase in food prices, also leading to higher inflation and margin compression for food producers as well. Russia is also critically important for PGM exports, accounting for about 45% of palladium global exports and about 10% of platinum. 
And what that implies is higher precious metal prices too, which is helpful for South Africa. So to answer your question, and I've spoken a lot around this, on the one hand, we've got higher input prices for South Africa, higher energy prices, higher food prices, but we're also somewhat insulated because of higher platinum prices, higher gold prices, which means that South Africa amongst emerging markets isn't as heavily hit as some of our peers, like, for example, Brazil. So beyond oil and food, and both of those are of concern, what else, I wonder, is the market looking out for? Where is the antenna pointed? There are a couple of other things to be concerned about. The first is we are seeing an unprecedented reaction to the invasion from European markets, not just actually European, but also from the US as well. The fact that the Russian central bank is being sanctioned by itself, meaning that it can't intervene in the currency market, is something that doesn't typically happen to large countries. It's happened to Venezuela, it's happened to Iran, but not an economy of the size of Russia. And that itself is interesting. What that means is that the ruble has taken an absolute bath today. It's down around 30% or so. But in addition to that, we're seeing a complete change in tune from Germany. What they're saying, in effect, is that they want to reduce reliance on Russian exports of energy and they want to spend more on defense. What that implies, too, is that there's going to be a shift towards renewables and maybe even nuclear. And what it means, ultimately, is that the German government is going to be spending more. They're going to have to invest more in energy. They're going to have to invest more in defense. And the idea of sticking to a balanced budget is going to be something that is cast to history. And we're going to land up with a government that is far more willing to take on debt. And that means higher interest rates in Europe. And that is something that we haven't seen for a very long time. So we're going to see increasing demand out of Europe, higher interest rates in Europe. It's very helpful for European banks. It does mean higher interest rates as well. It's something that we have not become accustomed to. So aside from food and energy, the next big story that's going to play out on this is higher long bond yields across Europe. And what does that mean? Ultimately, that's an environment that's much better for European financials. European financials have done extremely poorly over the past 20 years or so. European banks have underperformed even South African construction over prolonged periods. So this acts as a bit of a fillip. Um, and so we'll start to see an improved performance, we think, from, from European financials, a bit of a normalization of their economy, and ultimately, possibly the end of negative interest rates across the globe. A more normal environment. It's taken an abnormal event, but may well lead to a more normal situation down the line. You point out so many variables. Is it possible for South African investors to say or to think about what the long-term impact is going to be on their money? Or as the situation changes hour by hour, it's an unfair question. I think at this point, to try to estimate the long-term consequences is too difficult. We can try. We can try to paint a picture where we land up with a greater reliance on renewables and nuclear in, in Europe, as I mentioned earlier, and we land up with uh, the Russian economy facing its own domestic financial crisis, and we can try to estimate what the knock-on consequences may be for the global economy. But it's still probably too soon to pen that in. We can pencil it in, but we can't quite pen it in yet because there are negotiations underway. And it's not beyond the realms of possibility that there's a massive de-escalation within a week and the oil price goes back to $95 and then we're back to the situation we were before. So while I think we should start to try to estimate what some of these long-term themes are going to be that's going to come out as a result of this, we probably need to wait at least another week or so for some degree of clarity out of the situation before we can fully start to incorporate them into our longer-term forecast for economic growth across the globe and in South Africa in particular. So what sort of mindset then should an investor in this country be adopting right now? Patience is the key word. 
if you go back over the past 50 years and you identify the key geopolitical events that occurred, whether they be invasion into Vietnam as an example, or the Gulf War as another, you collect all of those events, and there have been a number of them. What's traditionally occurred is one month subsequent to these events, markets are flat to up around 1% or so. Six months later, they're up a bit more, and 12 months later, they're up a bit more after that. It's that old expression, you, you buy on the sound of cannons and you sell on the sound of trumpets. It's a terrible expression because it ignores the human cost in what's going on. But what it does imply is that you land up with these large risk-off events. Everybody frets and panics and there's immediate selling. And it's probably worthwhile in events like this just hanging fire for a moment because often the initial reaction is too large. As an example, on Thursday, the Russian stock market was down 30%. On Friday, it was up 19%. Selling on the day is something that's quite risky and it's worth just hanging fire until we can get better information and a better view of what the long-term consequences of any event are going to be. And just a final question, does South Africa's political position in this conflict make any difference at all to investment strategy? There seems to be a bit of toing and froing as far as this is concerned. Is that a factor? I don't think so. Not at this point. The themes at play are far greater than would be affected by our political posture. For example, if the oil price goes from 100 to $150, the view that South Africa has on the Russian invasion is secondary to what will happen in the market. We'll end up with your domestic consumption stocks getting absolutely hammered. You'll end up with some of your resource stocks doing very well, irrespective of the political view. Similarly, if there's a de-escalation fairly rapidly and oil goes back to $80 per barrel, the view the South African government has really will not have an impact on our market at all. There are bigger things at play here, and we need to keep an eye on what those are at this point. And I'm going to thank you, Chris Holdsworth. Uh, thanks for joining us on No Ordinary Wednesday. Cheers. Thanks, Jeremy. In just a moment, we'll continue to assess the impact of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine with Investec UK Head of Commodities, Callum McPherson. But a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. All right, Callum, welcome. Let's start with the oil price, if we can. We had a response from Chris Holdsworth here in Johannesburg. From your side, talk us through the oil price and the market reaction. What's your assessment as we have this conversation? Well, we're now back to 2014 levels. And between 2011 and 2014, Brent generally traded over $100 barrel. When it went higher towards the top of that range, we saw resistance around $120 per barrel, although there was a high at one point of $128 per barrel. So that's the sort of environment that we're now potentially confronted with. We do have an OPEC meeting this week on Wednesday, which it's most likely that OPEC will just add their typical 400,000 barrels per day increase. And and if they do that, once that's out of the way, and they don't sort of decide to suddenly add more crude than that, then I suspect the market might have another leg higher. At what point do we start getting concerned about supply? Well, the market is already very concerned about supply. I mean, perhaps one of the best ways of looking at it is to look at the price of Russian crude, the so-called Ural blend, look at the spread between that and the Brent future. It's trading at a discount of around $10 per barrel. So the market is worried about Russian crude, about how reliable the supply is. Over the weekend, we've had damage to oil and gas infrastructure in the Ukraine, albeit not infrastructure that's connected with the transport of gas and oil through the country. But nevertheless, that then there's been the, the announcement about Russian banks being drawn from SWIFT system, so concern about dealing with Russian counterparties and this kind of thing. So refiners are looking for other sources of crude where they can. 
Which countries or regions would feel the pinch from oil price volatility right now? Well, it's going to be across the world, really. I mean, oil prices are going higher and uh, any consumers are going to have to pay for that. So I think it's a problem for everybody, really. And long-term sustainability, then, the far-reaching consequences of this conflict on the oil market, has the paradigm shifted completely, do you think? Well, I think people are focused on the here and now, but I think as the dust starts to settle a bit, energy security is clearly going to be a big issue, particularly in Europe and particularly where gas is concerned, actually, rather than so much on oil, because the reliance on Russian gas and oil is going to be politically very challenging now. And so the options are to look more at local supply. So in Europe, of course, that means the North Sea, whereas uh, in recent times, investors have been cautious about supporting local production because of ESG concerns, whereas actually the reality is that some of the other sources of supply, particularly Russian gas actually, has quite a high carbon footprint. So there are good reasons for supporting that local production. And especially when you consider the uses to which the money going to Russia is being put in in, in the Ukraine. Then there's, of course, moving away from fossil fuels altogether. I mean, if you can make better use of renewables, then you, a lot of these, these problems go away anyway. And just simply improving efficiency. If you, if you use less oil and gas, then, then you have less to buy, clearly. Then there's a sort of geopolitical side as well, like the future of OPEC Plus, for example, which relies on Russian and Saudi cooperation. So far, the Saudis have been neutral on the whole thing, but that's a position that becomes more complicated and difficult to sustain that the more extreme things become in the Ukraine and what Russia is doing there. And finally, if we are to widen the scope slightly, what other commodities are likely to be affected in the short term by this conflict? Well, it's perhaps more a case of which commodities aren't going to be affected by it because of so many different commodities come out of Russia and are now potentially affected by sanctions. But I think two of the big ones are gas, obviously, we've talked about, but also wheat. The Ukraine supplies about a tenth, I think, of global wheat supply. Um, So that's massive and clearly What's going on in Ukraine could easily disrupt the production of wheat. And then Russia itself is an even larger producer of wheat, so another 15%. So you've got potentially a quarter of global wheat production being affected either by supply disruptions or sanctions in some way. Investec UK Head of Commodities, Callum McPherson, thank you for joining us on No Ordinary Wednesday. Thank you. On a much more positive note, and in conclusion, last week we saw a monumental step forward in pay parity for women's sport, with the U.S. women's national soccer team reaching a 24 million U.S. dollar agreement with the American soccer body. The association also pledging equal pay going forward for the men's and women's teams across all competitions, including the World Cup. Could this unprecedented announcement pave the way possibly for fair pay for other women in professional sports? sport. One sport that's made significant progress both internationally and locally is women's golf. We welcome to the podcast now Peter Dixon, Investec's head of sponsorship, to talk about some of the noteworthy developments in the sport, both internationally and locally. So, Peter, very warm welcome, first of all. And let me start with this. What has changed, I wonder, between last year and this year in terms of popularity and prize money in international women's golfing world? And as well as the what, tell us the why. 
Thanks, Jeremy. So it's a very exciting movement for us that we're watching at the moment. I mean, tournament organizers across the globe have announced an expanded season and the biggest prize purses that we've seen on record ever, really. As an example, I can give you a few. The LPGA, I mean, they are the leading the charge in women's golf at the moment. The association announced an expanded 2022 season with an unprecedented 34 tournaments scheduled for the season and a record-setting combined prize purse of 87.5 million euros. Dollars, which is huge. The US Women's Open alone have elevated their prize purse to 10 million US dollars with a commitment to bring that to 12 million US dollars in 26, along with their partner that they brought on board. A little bit closer to home, the Ladies European Tour, the LET. I mean, they've upped the ante as well for 2022. They've got an overall prize purse of 24.5 million euros and 31 events, which is also huge. It's a jam packed schedule. And then very close to home, the Sunshine Ladies Tour. They've got six events on the schedule this year and a total prize purse of just over or just around 13 million rand. So there's been a massive swell specifically focused on women's golf. Why do you think that is? Well, if you ask me as a female, it's about time. <laughs> I think we start, <laughs> we are starting to see movement in women's sports. Um, you know, if you look at tennis, if you look at women's soccer, there's been a record-breaking uh, legal case that's just been won that the ladies' soccer in USA are going to be earning equal pay. The movement and the, and the narrative of change has been around for quite some time in terms of pay parity in women's sport. It's starting to take shape. And now specifically in women's golf, it's starting to take shape. And we're starting to see sponsors uh, seeing the value in women's sport. I certainly concur with those sentiments about time. But what about the situation in South Africa, the big international, the big global picture that you're painting? Has it reached our shores yet? Is our thinking, is our strategy, is our approach changing? It feels a little bit slower, but this is a journey and we are on the journey together. So as I said, in South Africa, the, you know, we've got six tournaments on the Sunshine Ladies season and we are playing for about 13 million rand total prize purse. Investec plays a pivotal role in women's golf in South Africa. We've got a long standing partnership with the Sunshine Ladies Tour. And as part of our commitment to support and empower women and female golfers, we recently announced a renewed four-year sponsorship as the title sponsor of the Investec South Africa Women's Open from 2022 to 2025, hot off the press. We haven't even announced it. Today is the first time. We do offer, along with the Sunshine Ladies Tour and our additional partners that we have on board, we will be playing for a total prize purse of 300,000 euros this year, which is definitely by far and large the biggest prize purse in South Africa. So we've made considerable waves in the in, in this prize purse. We've also got the Investec Order of Merit. We've doubled that prize purse this year, so that's 200,000 rand. And then lastly, we've got you know the local SA winner. If it's South African wins the Investec South African Women's Open, we offer an additional 100,000 rand bonus prize purse. So supporting local talent in the country. And then we've obviously got our sponsored golfers. We've recently announced a new sponsor with Setu Mayeki, our new rising star who joins our stable of Lejean Luthwaite, Nicole Garcia and Stacey Brigman. So we truly are invested in women's golf um, in South Africa and we are pushing the agenda of pay parity and gender equality in golf. We've got some way to go, but we're proud of the journey that we're making. Right, and thank you for making the announcement first on this podcast. Of course, we would expect nothing less because we are highly competitive. Of course. I would suggest this. <laughs> I would suggest this, that more money in the game also means attracting down the line more talent. The sport becomes more lucrative and therefore becomes more desirable. Are my thoughts connecting correctly there? 
This is true. You know, when we speak to our sponsored golfers, they just want to be able to earn enough to be able to compete and play and show that they have the talent and that they can attract investments into the game. And once we get this mass movement behind women's sport, then absolutely they will start earning the same. And then it has a ripple effect. The sponsors will see the return and so we go. But as I say, there's a, there's a bit of a way to go specifically in South Africa. Europe and Americas are, are catching on quickly, but that is the aim. That would be success for us. And more money means increased broadcasting airtime, I imagine, and that would have a positive impact on the game. 100%. I mean, the significant contributor, I would say, in the rise of these financial support and price purses that we're seeing is the expanded coverage that we are getting on mainstream broadcasts. If you look at the LPGA, there are 34 tournaments. NBC Sports covers all 34 tournaments, all live days on TV. That's about 650 hours of TV coverage, mainstream. The LET season, they've got 17 live televised tournaments. That's about 230, 240 hours hours of live broadcast. And even locally, I mean, Supersport have partnered with the Sunshine Ladies Tour since inception. In 2021, we had live coverage of the Investec South Africa Open for the first time, all four days. And we continue that live coverage this year in 2022, where it will be live for all four days. And I mean, that propels the women's game forward by providing exposure to the players, to the sponsors. It makes it far more attractive. It's also really good for the youngsters that are coming up. I mean, they need to see what's possible. And if you work hard and play hard, they can see their heroes, they can support, they can participate. So the numbers are rising, the viewership is rising. Uh, we, we, we need that TV coverage. Let me finish with this. The tournament campaign theme this year, different winners, same game. What does that mean? So same game, different winners. So basically what we're saying, it asserts that the game of golf poses the same challenges to female and male players and female players should be equally celebrated and rewarded. Uh, women golfers continuously face the same challenges, it's the same courses, it's the same high standards as their male counterparts and the competition's equally as tough. It's, it's no easier for a female golfer than for a male golfers but at the same time it's rewarding for both the players and the spectators. So we support local talent on a global stage. We believe our investment will go a long way towards affording more female golfers the opportunity to not only play but they can perform well on a local and international stage and earn well too. Peter Dixon, I have this powerful urge to go and find my golf clubs in the garage uh, where they've been lying dormant for at least two years. Thank you so much for joining us on No Ordinary Wednesday. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Jeremy. Please join us again on the 16th of March as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.